When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Hello, all the wiser listeners. Today, we are bringing you an All the Wiser Recommends. And by that, I mean a podcast that I love and think you will too. Feel free to thank me after for introducing you to Last Day by Lemonada Media. It's a show about the moments that change us and how people live and learn and grieve and grow and cry and laugh and do it all over and over again after the darkest days in their life. The show is hosted by the insanely talented Stephanie Whittleswax, who lost her younger brother to a drug overdose. Her brother's death inspired Stephanie to create this podcast. And she has this rare talent of talking about incredibly sad and difficult things while finding moments to laugh out loud and drop incredibly well-timed F-bombs. Last Day is a show that is real and raw and happy and sad, but at the heart of every episode is a new beginning. To check out Last Day, search for the show wherever you get your podcasts or click in the link in our show notes. And now I bring you the award-winning queen of darkness and light, Stephanie Whittleswax, and her podcast, Last Day. So, yeah, tell me about your childhood. (laughs) Sure. So, um, we grew up in a fairly regular suburb on Long Island in New York. Um, Obviously, very close, being 15 months apart, we... The two of us would just, we'd spend a lot of time together given our closeness. It was just easy to have a playmate that was that close to me in age. And as the little brother, for a short period of time, I was able to kind of like mold him into what I wanted him to be. Like I would dress him up as a girl and he just had to take it. I'd make him do whatever it was until then, like he got a little taller than I was. Mm. And that's where the, the power dynamic really shifted because then I had no leg to stand on. This is Kate Green. She's a delightful Virgo from Long Island who lives in Boston with her husband, Matt. Throughout my chat with Kate, I kept having those goosebumpy, holy cow, we are the same moments. You know, the ones where you're talking to a complete stranger but feel like you've known them your entire life. That happened with Kate. There's just a lot of overlap between us. Harris was also, like, only a girl growing up. Like, oh, yeah. I put him in every wig, every dress, every—he was my personal doll. Yes. I completely relate to that. That's what little brothers exist for until what, they what become What else are they big. for? Exactly. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Aside from putting our brothers in dresses, Kate also grew up in a tight-knit family of four who all genuinely seemed to like each other. She was also the protective older sister who'd do anything for her hilarious little brother, Ryan. And a few years ago, she lost him to a heroin overdose. 
you know the story. Like it's the the rehab attempts, the immediate overdose after, the getting in trouble with the law, and lather, rinse, repeat. Like the calls I would get from jail to like go hide money somewhere in a like. It didn't make any sense to me, but I just, he is my person. And I will, to the best of my ability, continue to be that protector if I can. This is Last Day, a show about the moments that change us. I'm Stephanie Whittleswax. And today I'm talking to another sister who lost her brother, but more importantly, her person. And this feels significant as we move into a new iteration of the show, because this is how it all began. The only reason Last Day exists is because a stranger named Jess lost her little brother Stefano to an overdose in 2017. So looking for any kind of relatable content in the deep, dark hole she was in, she tuned into an episode of the podcast Terrible Thanks for Asking and heard me and my mom talking about losing my brother Harris to an overdose in 2015. Here's Jess. I swear to God, it was the first time I felt joy. It was the joy of, like, someone else. This is just life. Like, people die, and sometimes your brother dies of a heroin overdose, and you can sit in a studio with your mom and, like, be on the other side of going through the shitstorm that I was in and laugh again and celebrate that person, in your case, Harris. And so I just had this moment of like, okay, like, I think I can live through this. Like, this is not just me. That just just didn't happen to just me. It happened to someone else. Long story short, Jess and I joined forces to create the podcast you're listening to right now. And that podcast turned into an entire podcast network called Lemonada Media. And Then we all lived happily ever after. I'm just kidding. Happily ever after does not exist. It is not real. Yes, it is very cool that we found each other and then found this greater purpose and we were able to turn lemons into lemonade. But it will never not suck that our brothers are gone. It will always ache and hurt, and no matter how much success we achieve, that void is ever-present. We call it the happy sad. This is where we live now, and so does Kate. And so do so many of you who have listened to and supported this show from the beginning. You know as well as I do that this work isn't just about opioids or suicide or guns. It's about that cosmic thing that happens when you see yourself in someone else's story. That is the heart and soul and guts of this show, which is why, moving forward, we are expanding our focus and bringing you a new conversation every week. So, while today's story focuses on the fallout of Ryan's last day, it's also about the last day that Kate was Kate. It's about how those lightning bolt moments inevitably morph us into a new version of ourselves. And it's about figuring out how to live comfortably in this new space. It's also about comparing notes, starting with our moms. What was your mom like? What was y'all's relationship to mom? Um, my mom and I have a great relationship. My mom and my brother had have had a very 
deeply special connected relationship. Um, they're best friends. And it's, it was and sort of how my, my dad and I have that sort of closeness. My mom and my brother had that. Um, so she would be involved in all of his sports stuff. Cause if my dad was traveling, my mom was like his little league coach and like, would <laughs> really? do all, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. She was like a tomboy mom. Like I, I it, was, it was, I love mom, little league coaches. <laughs> I have a true special place in my heart for mom, little league coaches. That's it's really the greatest. something. I know. Yeah. I know. And she killed it. She did a great job. And she'd always like for our birthdays, she'd make sure to make special like themed cakes like one year he was really into Big Bird. So there was a themed cake for Big Bird. Um, yeah, so she was an all-in. And she still is an all-in mom. There's less to be all-in about now, but she's she was, yeah. I am stealing that, an all-in mom. Please. Yes, I love that. Okay, yeah. she was an all-in mom. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. My mom was an all-in mom, PTO president, always on the field trips, always volunteering, oh, yeah. doing all the things. Didn't bake the cakes, and I still have some resentment around that. But we don't we don't need to get into that. Um, okay, so what do you think when you know you have these fond memories of Ryan? What was your favorite thing about him? He was the funniest person, still to this day that I know or knew. Funniest and most intelligent, mm-hmm. and I think the combination of those things both. Served him well and got him into some trouble. But he, like, we would be, we our parents took us to church when we were kids growing up. And, like, the two of us would not even be able to sit next to each other because he would just be, like, lightly mocking, like, the the overtures and the tones. And I don't know if you've been to a Catholic mass ever. They're very, and he would, like, yeah, whisper forever. in my ear and just, and just, like, get me. He always knew exactly what to do or say to make me lose it just with laughter. He was hilarious. I love that. That's my favorite kind of brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what do you think he would say was his favorite thing about you? I think that he truly believed, he, he knew that I was his protector, that I would do anything. And from when mm-hmm. we were kids, like, you know, covering things up or what, like scrambling not to tell him, to all the way through to, until he died, like I would do anything for him and slightly tangential. I, I saw a psychic medium after he died. I don't know if you, why, of course, why, he, why would you not? Exactly. It's the, it's the thing you do. Um, yeah. and he, yeah. that was something that he came through and really championed to this, like that he, he knows how much I had his back and how much mm. I cared and wanted him to just be okay. And he always appreciated that even when he couldn't find the words to, yeah. um, but I think that started out really young, like as long as I can remember. Yeah, it was like a primary dynamic mm-hmm. of the relationship. Yep. Okay. I am so sorry, y'all. My kid's school is now calling a third That's time. That's okay. Answer. I'm so sorry. Hang on okay. one second. I just want to make yeah. sure everything's okay. Sorry. Yes. Hello? What's going on? Okay. So three calls in a row for my daughter's school, and I don't care if Oprah is sitting across from me on the Zoom. You better believe I'm picking up the phone. Iris, when do you need them? The emergency? Iris forgot to bring the Valentine's cards that she made for her classmates. Okay, I will bring them to you, okay? Okay, love you. Bye. Crisis averted. For now, at least. I am so sorry. It's okay. Uh, That was the emergency. So, (laughs) anyway, it's fine. Um, I want to get back to, okay, so you're the protector, um, as I am to my child, uh, and, and I completely get it. And so, um, at what point do you feel like you felt like that 
idyllic relationship that you described and that, you know, closeness that the two of you shared started to sort of shift? I think the the perfection or the perceived perfection of our, our family and our family unit probably started to shift when he started getting into, like, the wrong crowd and just, like, shitty behavior when he was probably 13 or 14. Mm. It didn't escalate to what it became for another good chunk of time, but that's where we started to lose him. That's where it started to, like, fragment from the four of us to the three of us kind of, like, in an orbit around him. Mm. Nothing, like, blew up then, but it just, like, that's where, in my mind, I can remember, like, when things started to kind of shift um, our relationship, for the most part, nicely remained that dynamic with a lot of, like, stressors. Like, I was definitely pushed to some limits over the years. But I would say probably when he was, like, 13 or 14, whatever that is, middle school, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it started to fragment there. And because he was so smart, he was bored by school. So that mm-hmm. also kind of came, it was like, well, maybe this is just like what it is to be a 14 year old boy. Like we've never done this before. You know, he got an 800 on the math section of his SATs without a calculator. Stop it. His calculator batteries died. And instead of like, I don't know, remedying the problem, he was like, yeah, whatever. He tried college. Like he tried to go to SUNY Maritime, which is a New York state, like uh, naval school. And it just, it wasn't jiving for him. He was definitely much more, um, in, he, he wanted, he, he was a really good, like good with his hands. So he'd work for a dock builder or a boat person or just like all these like really like physically exhausting, great jobs, but he'd always managed to mess them up, like with a failed drug test or like a stolen something or a, he just, he'd ruin the relationship and it would be on to the ne- whatever the next thing was that he could find to make money or, you know, spend his time. How did you make sense of this? How did you in like what was your explanation for we are from the perfect family, right? We have this great mom. She made big bird cakes. What <laughs> how how am I thriving and doing all the traditional things you're supposed to do moving into adulthood and Ryan can't? Another really great question. I, and I I it was always an interesting dynamic for example when I'd be in college, I would only like the updates I'd get from my parents were just like the shitty things that were happening. Trying, I never felt like I was being asked questions about what I was doing or how I was doing or how things were going. And I started to get really resentful and angry. Like, what is his problem? Like, why can't he get it together? The more it went on, the more clear it became that, like, that wasn't going to change unless something fundamentally changed. But he had to want that change. So... I don't know if that really totally answered your question. No, I mean, I'm like, I'm. there's tears coming out of my face. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, I that part, that rehab, relapse, rinse, repeat cycle is so brutal. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that people who haven't experienced it understand the depths of, like, suffering that it oh my brings. God. Oh, my God. It's exhausting on top of that, too. And, like, again, like, we were from a really, like, close-knit, tight community – Nobody else, either if they did have this experience, they weren't speaking about it. My gut is that like a lot of other people weren't experiencing this. So we didn't really have an outlet to compare to, to like, what are you doing that's helping? Like, we just sort of like went with it and did the best that we could. Yeah. And I think the other part that's so soul crushing is the hope. You know, every time they start a new rehab, you're like, this is it. This is the one. And Harris was always the star student at rehab, you know, like the therapist would be like, he is 
incredible. And we were like, yeah, we fucking know, right? I mean, <laughs> can you please get him off of drugs? He's the best. And this shit is killing him, right? Yes. And you're so, you're so hopeful. It's like, to the even though you know the data suggests your own data. I'm not talking about, like, data. I'm talking about, I know he has relapsed every single time. So how in the world is this going to work? But you still have that hope every time. That's the part that's so sad. It's the most soul-destroying thing because you can't not have hope because then what sort of monster are you? But then you have so much hope and you believe everything that your person is telling you about, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Like, he once called my mom and, like, got let out of rehab early because he was doing so well. Like, that's... He came yeah. up with a certificate. So how how were you coping with this fluctuation, the ups and downs, the highs and lows? Did you put up any boundaries? Were you distancing yourself? Were you leaning in? Like, what was... How did you take care of yourself? I quite literally distanced myself. Um, short, and like, I think it was probably 22, 3, 4, I started a long-distance relationship with who is now my husband, but he was living in Boston, and I was living in New York. And after a year, I was like, I'm going to move there. I can transition my job. I was working at a book publishing company that had offices in both cities. It was very easy. And it was also like, it made the most sense because Ryan at that point was like living with my parents or he'd be like, there was, it still was just us orbiting around his chaos. And I was like, I, I think it was a subconscious thing. I don't think I actively said I have to leave because of this, but it was like, oh, this is a great opportunity. I'm going to take it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think as it went on he was, he was, he struggled for so long that I started I'm a, a very, uh, uh, by the book Virgo. I am a type A organized black and white checkbox person. So oh, in my gosh. mind, <laughs> in my mind, wow. I was like, okay, well, when the other shoe falls here with him, like we've been doing this for 10, 12, 15 years, I'll, I'll just be prepared for it. Like, I'll know the things that I need to do and the, the actions I need to take to be okay. Like I, I almost like pre mourned him. It's kind of morbid to say, but I think it was a very much, um, a defense mechanism to protect myself from what was swirling around our family unit at all times. Yeah. No, I mean, I get that. It's – I am still afraid of the phone <laughs> to this <laughs> yeah. day. Oh, my I God. I still I, – like, I, you just saw me. You just mm -hmm. saw it happen. Mm -hmm. the, when the phone rings twice, I have a PTSD response. I literally, like, start to, like, shake. And I, and I naturally think death. Do other people do that? Is that normal? Okay, well, you're not normal. I, I know, I know. I, other people, like, don't really. Like, if my parents call me out of the blue with no text to proceed, I will answer with an immediate panic that someone has died. Like, there isn't, totally. there's never good news. No. It's always bad news. And it's, you get, like, a physical reaction to it. And so, at what point, I mean, they're, they're, you're talking about this cultivated and necessary self-protection that you form, which is like something bad is going to happen. I'm braced for it. I'm ready for it. But was there a point where you felt like Ryan's death was inevitable, that it was a foregone conclusion? Yeah. Yeah. It feels shitty to say that, yes, I did feel that way, but yes, I, I did feel that way. And I would say it was probably... The last two years of his life were really, like, that's where things were, like, really heightened with, there's a lot of, like, legal stuff that he was involved with, like, money that my parents were paying for different things. And, like, his drug use became more aggressive and there were more overdoses and relapses. Just, like, 
the cycle became more frequent, whereas in the past it had been like a blip this year, or maybe there was a year where like he was in jail for the year, so nothing happened. Like that, it, it, as sick as it is to say, when he was in jail, it was like the greatest because we knew he was being cared for three meals a day and he couldn't get out. My parents weren't going to come home to like a house that was trashed. I wasn't going to get a phone call in the middle of the night. Like, I think probably the last two years were really when it, when I was forcing myself to reconcile with the idea that like, no matter what we do, like I can try, I can make as many phone calls. I can try and be this power of attorney. I can do, like, I can check in, like I can do all the, the, the textbook things that you're supposed to do. But there was always this like gnawing thing in the back of my chest that was like, it probably isn't enough. It probably won't be enough. So Kate is in the bad place where so many of us have found ourselves when our loved ones are struggling with addiction. You're doing everything in your power to help, but still, in the depths of your soul, buried down deep, you feel like the writing is on the wall. As the years went by, Ryan continued to fall into the same patterns of relapse and recovery and relapse and recovery and relapse and recovery. But in the meantime, Kate had to live her life and draw some boundaries for her own survival. She was living in Boston. Her family was still in Long Island. And in late 2019, they were all heading into the most wonderful time of the year. So um, my parents and Ryan were going to come up to Boston uh, right after Christmas. He'd never, he'd been here once. We'd never like done the city. He always really wanted to go to Charlestown because he saw the movie, The Town, and thought that it was, Charlestown is like full of yuppies now. Like it's completely gentrified. It's not what it was in that movie anyway. um, So yeah, they were going to come up for Christmas and we're going to spend some time here. And in early December, I remember I called my parents just to check in and see how they were, see how their day was. And I said, oh, can I talk to Rye? Because, like, he, he was living with them at that point. And he gets on the phone, and he, just, he sounds a little off, but I didn't question it. Like, we were, he was excited to come. Things were good. Because he lived with my parents, they bore the brunt of a lot of, like, his daily activity that they would keep from me because they didn't want to upset me. Mm. And so I learned after the fact that the week that I had spoken to him had just happened to be a week where he'd been in the hospital the day before because he overdosed and my father had to give him Narcan before the medics arrived at their house. So <clears throat> it was a fraught couple of weeks. It was very much like walking on eggshells, but in my mind, I was like, no, we will have a perfect Christmas visit in Boston. We were going to go to the fancy hotel and we were gonna go to the nice dinner and it was gonna be decked out for Christmas and it was going to be perfect. Hmm. Hope, <laughs> hope, 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 again. Oh, fucking hope. Fucking hope, it's the oh. worst. <laughs> so his birthday is December 20th. And I called, I actually, I FaceTimed him on my mom's iPad on his birthday. He answered it in the middle of eating Chinese food. He literally, he put the iPad like flat on the table and then was just shoveling lo mein <laughs> into his face over the video. And I was like, this is so like gross, but so also on brand for you. Like, okay. And we had, we had a great conversation. It was kind of quick. He was so excited. He was so excited to come, so excited. 
And we were also making plans in January to kind of deal with some of his out-of-state legal issues that he would need to be in-state for. So I was going to drive him. We were going to make it like a a team effort. Again, the hope. Um, And so we, you know, we had a plan. There was a plan. Plans. Hope. For those of us impacted by this merciless disease, this is often all we have to hold on to. And that's exactly what Kate was holding on to as she rolled out of bed on December 23rd. So uh, so it was a Monday, and I hadn't set my alarm because I was just going to easily wake up and roll into the day. It's basically Christmas. Like, I'm going to go to the office, but it's going to be a throwaway day. Like, I'm in no rush to start commuting. My husband had already left for work. And I hear what I think is the back door, like, start, like, being open. And I said, that's weird. I wonder if Matt forgot something. And, you know, so I, I looked at my phone. It's 825. I didn't have any missed calls. I didn't have any texts. And I walk out of our room to greet him at the door. And he looked at me and he said, your mom called. And my first thought was, oh, something happened to my dad. I don't know why that was the first thought, because the most obvious choice would be Ryan. And I said, and I I said, what? And, And he said, your mom called, Ryan overdosed and died last night. I'm so sorry. And I laughed at him. I laughed. I heard myself laugh. And he said, I need you to hear what I'm saying to you. I need you to hear me. And he said it again. And so I I took a deep breath. I remember taking a very deep breath. And I walked back into my room. And I sort of like, I made it to the end of my bed. And I curled up in this like tiny, tiny little ball. And I don't, I, I was like trying to sob, but I know I was just like, like, it was just like this, like, like soundless sobbing is the best way that I can describe it. I like, I, I was having like an out of body experience. I could see myself doing this. And then I thought, well, fuck, I have to call my mom now. Cause I, I didn't know any additional details. Like I didn't, you know, I have to, we have to, we have to go, we have to go to New York now. So I called my mom and she gave me sort of as many details as I asked for. But then like my next thought was, well, we have to, we have to, we have to plan. Like I have to, I have to check these boxes. I was prepared for this moment. So I know the next that we need to, I need a shower. I need to pack. We need to get on the road. We need to see if there's a ferry to book to get over, to get around holiday traffic. So it's going to be a shit show. We were cat sitting for someone. And I, before we even got on the road, I went to their house to make sure their cat was okay. So, um, took a shower and I remember just standing in the shower and saying to myself out loud, just like, so keep hearing it. Your brother is dead. Your brother is dead. This, this moment or like this shower, oddly, is like the dividing line between when he was alive for you and now he is dead. Three days after his 33rd birthday, he did one shot of heroin. I don't even know the right terminology, one bump, whatever it was. I think probably in an, like, in my mind, I'm telling myself he did this one last time because he's going to come to Boston. He was like a little bit anxious, probably. He doesn't like to travel, but he wants to like be his best self. He wants to be his best person. He's going to do this one more time. And he died on my parents' kitchen floor. He ate a sandwich in the TV room. 
he must have shot up. And my dad found him laying on the kitchen floor that next morning. So, um, yeah. So this was in the middle of the night that this happened? They think, they think it was probably like one or two in the morning. He always stayed up late, like eating and staying up late was like textbook for him. Mm-hmm. And probably some of the activities that he participated in, also textbook. Um, this time it just killed him. I also had your brother's dead, 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 like on a loop. I, I, I It is out of body. Mm-hmm. That is that is the only I, I I I remember so many images. I have like a like a slideshow in my head of tile, gravel. I was on the floor. I can't I couldn't get off the floor. So the, I, I remember seeing um frozen images of different floors. And still t- you can probably still call those back. Yeah. Yeah. But again, in my very structured, demented way of, of dealing with this exact moment that I had foreseen was coming, I packed a black jumpsuit, a black, like, like a jumpsuit, no bras, and my entire skincare regimen. Not even like, not the stuff that you would do just like over the course of a couple of days. Anything that I had in my bathroom that was related to skincare, like the samples that you kind of keep around from Sephora that should just be thrown away or the thing you're only supposed to use once a month. I have no idea why this was what I deemed important. Put it all in a bag, put it in my suitcase. I was packed. Okay, so your husband, is he watching you go through this shock? And and is he saying anything? Or, or is he collaborating with you on the packing of the skincare what what's happening with that he's he's sort of learned in a really beautiful way with all the experiences that he's witnessed my family have with Ryan to kind of like give it a little bit of space and let me come to him as needed um and that's the best way like his immediate inclination is to help but my immediate inclination is to I've got this like please you are suffocating me right now when really he was just he'd be just trying to do a nice thing no I just I need to figure this out by myself I'll raise my hand when I need to and that was the most helpful thing that was the most helpful thing so I could kind of process it how I needed to in that moment um and then of course he drove the entire I think we we wound up it was wound up being like a seven or eight hour journey it should have been about four but he handled all of that so I could do the phone calls and the texts and yeah, what yeah. the fuck are you doing on the road on that car ride for seven or eight hours? Like, who are you texting? What are you are you texting everybody to tell them what What are you doing? I couldn't bring myself to. I think I made one phone call to deliver the news because I I couldn't say it. I I didn't want to say it to someone else except myself because then then it's really real. Then this is not just some exercise of putting myself through. Then this is like actual. So I texted the, a couple of different group texts. I remember I texted my boss to let him know I wouldn't be in that day and that probably not for the next foreseeable future. And I remember the way I worded it. I said, Ryan overdosed. I have to go home. I, I don't know when I'll be back. And in my mind, I thought my assumption would be he'd read that and think, oh, of course, like her, her brother died. Like 
I learned later and bless him. He's the sweetest, most wonderful person. He's still a good friend of mine to this day. He was like, I didn't know in that moment that he died. I thought he like just overdosed. Cause that of course can mean that you survive in the hospital. It. Yeah. You're in the hospital. And I felt bad for not giving more detail to make sure he had all the information that he needed. That was my immediate response that I felt bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally normal. <laughs> People pleaser to the max. <laughs> I just want to check on your cat. And also, I want to make sure that everyone is happy and taken care of in this moment. Are you all good? And in my moment of most extreme grief, everybody good? You have a drink? You're Mm -hmm. good? Good, good. Okay, great. Anybody need any deli meat? (laughs) Does anybody need a snack? It's clear that part of Kate's grief response was doing. Kate is a doer. A highly effective one at that. I mean, we got in touch with her because she responded to our prompt for stories. In fact, she was one of the first people to fill out the submission form and reflect on who she is now versus who she was before she lost her brother. And her response was incredibly detailed and thoughtful. If I was still teaching, she would get an A+. I'm curious for somebody who processes in the way that you're talking about It's like you knew this was a viable outcome, right? You had said, this is a foregone conclusion. When it happened, were you like, this is it. This is the moment I've been waiting for. I've been prepping for this my whole life. Now it is time to take care of things. Like, did you go into action mode immediately? I think in that moment, yes. And it was very much checklisting in my Mm -hmm. head. And what's interesting is stuff before I read the prompt for this and submitted my information, I hadn't really spent a lot of time thinking about that person and who I was, because I am not that person anymore. Mm. And there's a beauty in being able to get, like, life is not black and white. Life is very gray. And to live in that space, I think, worked for me in that moment. It, like, steeled me from immediate collapse because I knew there was stuff I'd have to do when we got home. I knew, like, I knew my mom would be the point person. My mom, she is just, she's the rock of our family. My dad and I are typically the more like emotional, mushy people. And like, I knew that like with my dad having found him, I needed to do my best to protect him from anything else that he'd have to do, any other decisions he'd have to make. And so I did feel like kind of getting into action mode. And it was also, it was like, well, it's the holidays. And like, what does that mean for scheduling of things? And like, who's going to want to come to a funeral during the week of Christmas? And it was just like, yeah. I didn't even think about that. We call it, it's called Sad Week trademark. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's his birthday, December 20th. He died on December 23rd, Christmas, and then his funeral was on the 27th. So it's just nicely packaged. It's compact. It's very convenient. It's very convenient. But I assume has really fucked Christmases. Oh, fuck Christmas. And honestly, <laughs> like... My parents will hate it if they hear that, but I don't care. Um, I, like, even before this, holidays were fraught because somehow Ryan always had this ability to hone in on a holiday and blow it up. And even when he was trying not to, you there's always this underlying percolating fear of, like, what's going to go sideways today? Um, so this almost is, like, a nice way to tie the bow truly on, fuck you, Christmas. Like, we don't even have to acknowledge it if we don't want to. This is sad week now. And we will proceed accordingly. It's so wild because I'm almost eight years out now. And I forgot until you said it how angry I always was that Harris fucked up every holiday. 
I was always so pissed at him for ruining my expectation of how this fucking day was supposed to go. Yeah. Yeah. And just like holding your breath and like what person's going to walk out of the room into this dinner, into this event, into my wedding. Like, like, who are we getting? Who are we getting here? And why do I like I hate that I have to even like think about that for a second. Yeah, and then you feel like a horrible person. Yeah. But I was told that I was a hard. Like, anytime you maybe slightly question someone who thinks they're doing their best, they'll let you know that that's not the question that they want to have asked of them. Thank Indeed. you so much. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you are you get home. It is the thick of holiday cheer. The worst time <laughs> to be consumed by sorrow. Yep. Everyone is so fucking happy. <laughs> During the worst week of your life, which is so annoying, mm-hmm. um, were you like living in a parallel universe? Did you yeah. feel like you were in the upside down? Were you yes. just? I it was. I was not on this planet. The upside down is a perfect, perfect descriptor for it. Yeah, it's like yeah. it looks like it a little bit, but it's but, real dark. Yeah, yeah. Like all the decorations were still up, but like. We're sobbing in a corner. We're, like, staying up too late trying to write this eulogy. We're not eating and not, like, it just, it was a really interesting confluence of things. Like, the happiest time of the year for most people and literally the worst day, week of my life, of of our family's life. Speaking of that, I want to really hear from you here because it's something I still feel kind of, like, shameful about, but that persistent, my brother's going to die anxiety that was, like, holding me hostage, when that went away, it was, like, this profound sorrow took its place. So there was a—I heard this week, actually, somebody was saying, when you look ahead, when you're, like, anticipating something in the future, it's anxiety. And when you're looking back and you're reflecting on the past, it's depression. Mm. And I was, like— Oh, my God. Yes. Because I was so anxious about him dying and him getting hurt and him not being around anymore that I was, like, suffocating constantly from that. But then once he died, I was reflecting on all of our memories together. The anxiety was replaced by a profound pool of sorrow and depression. And with that, here's the part that feels shameful. There's a relief. Did you experience that? (laughs) Am I a monster? You are not a monster. That is almost cookie cutter, my experience. That like suffocating anxiety always, like persistently, constantly for for years. And then that's removed and sort of how we all orbited around him. The sun was taken out Mm. of our solar system. Mm. And so we had to, in a really, like in an upsetting way, but also in a really nice way, figure out how to reform our family dynamic and what that looked like while still honoring that we are a family of four. But like physically, we're only a family of three now. And I think that sorrow and that depression, I'm almost happy that it's there to some degree because it it forces you to always remember that you were that family of four and that you still are. It just looks different. And it's afforded my parents and I this really nice opportunity to have like an like an adult relationship together like they're two of my best friends 
Mm-hmm. I we FaceTime multiple times a week. I go home whenever I can. Um, and I just genuinely enjoy their company. Not that I didn't before, but it always had this like air of whatever bullshit was going on with Ryan. And then if we have time to talk about other things, like we'll get to it. So there's, there's definitely guilt there because what I, do I wish he were here? A hundred percent, even with all of the bullshit. Yeah. All day, every day, I would wish that. But it has allowed this different space of breathing room and existence and growth for our family unit as it stands now that we never would have experienced otherwise, if that makes sense. Oh my God, it totally does. It's, 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 it's also really you calling him the sun, right? Like we orbited around the sun and then the sun went away. But then there's this other imagery that's coming to me that when you're in that cycle, you're living in a shadow. You're living in somebody's shadow just constantly. You can't have access to the sun. So it that that's like a profound thing that's like kind of like in my brain right now that that it does feel simultaneously like this is the the crux of the family unit and also it is completely destroyed the family unit. I love how you just put that. I, I had not thought of that piece of it, but it's the perfect, like, that's the story of it. Yeah. That's how it encaps it. back. Brian is gone, and Kate and her family are trying to figure out how to continue existing in the world without him. And in the weeks that follow, there's a new year, a fresh start. Only, as we can all remember, 2020 didn't exactly feel like a fresh start for very long. Nope, pretty soon we're all wiping down grocery deliveries with Clorox and making homemade masks out of bandanas and hair ties. Yeah, that was that was a bit of a shitstorm. Um, so I went back to Boston after everything was said and done, I think right around New Year's. And my parents and I had this agreement. We would see each other every six weeks, if not before. It was like our little cutesy little tagline. Like my mom dropped me off at the ferry to go back and she said, I said, I'll see you in six weeks. She said, if not before. Oh. And so... I love your mom. She, she's... She's very cute. She's so cute. She's very cute, Patty Green. Um, Oh, my God, her name's Patty? (laughs) Yeah. Holy shit. Of course her name is Patty. Wait, is that your mom's name? No, but I just feel like Patty Green is, like, who she is. I I would name her that if I was writing her in a book. It's her her identity, totally. Patty, I love you. I'm just going to say this right now, and I'm excited to hang out someday. Okay, keep going. (laughs) Um, So... Remember that week before, like, leading up to the full shutdown? It was, like, all these, like, conversations happening around us, but not pundits, really sure Pundits, 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 oh, yeah. It was, like, oh, it was, like, the news Chatter, cycle. chatter, chatter. And yeah. so that happened, and I felt like I couldn't – I felt like I wasn't allowed to, f- to, to do anything with my grief because – the world was grieving. The entire universe was grieving either a loss of someone or a loss of just their regular day-to-day or whatever it was. And like, who am I to say, I only had this a couple weeks ago. Excuse me. Sorry. 
mine's still, mine's still here too. So I really, um, I think I did myself a little bit of a disservice that year and I just kind of put it away. And I don't think that was very fair to 2020 me, but it's what happened. And my parents and I FaceTimed a ton and did our best to maintain that, like being vulnerably sad with each other virtually is weird instead of just like sitting around the coziness of your own home. Um, For Mother's Day, we drove down to New York to socially distance for an hour and surprise my mom and then drive back. It was the easiest traffic we've ever experienced, but it was just like, I, I couldn't not be with her on Mother's Day for that Mother's Day. It was like an impossibility. But I didn't really like allow myself an outlet to kind of spend time with my grief and like try and figure out what this thing looks like now in my life. And 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 that can you recall a moment or a point where you were like you know what avoiding these feelings isn't really serving me anymore? Like was there a moment where you were like I have to get into this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in 2021, I was on a run. I was listening to a podcast. Uh, it's a running podcast called the Alley on the Run Show. If you're into running podcasts. Um, I'm not, she, but okay. now I will be. Now I will, since we're the same. And yeah, I, you might really like it. But I'm going to love it. It's going to be my favorite podcast. Keep going. Um, she was interviewing a woman named Meg who was talking about her experience with something called the Heron Project. And the Heron Project is a nonprofit that offers support both for people struggling with substance misuse and also their families and other loved ones. Um, and what so much of what she was saying felt very relatable to me. And I thought, okay, well, let me like, I like Googled them when I got home and I learned that they have weekly grief groups. And so I submitted my information and almost immediately got an email back welcoming me to the next Tuesday night grief group. And I was like, oh. That that was that was too fast. That was <laughs> I'm I was not prepared for that at too all. Fast. <laughs> too much. <laughs> and so every Tuesday for the next three months, I received a Zoom. I God bless Rebecca, who's our grief group leader. She kept me on that distro list and sent me the Zoom link every single Tuesday. And it wasn't until there was no reason why I shouldn't. I would like, oh, I'm I'm out on a run. I'm at work. I'm out with friends. I've already had a glass of wine. I This is not really a good time for me. <laughs> and there's mm-hmm. no good time to sit nope. down and talk about a shitty thing. No, there's no good group. time for a grief group. I'm just going to put that out there and say uh, <laughs> resolutely. No, nope. you will never have a moment where you're like, and now I will step fully into the grief group. Exactly right. Exactly right. And it was the first Tuesday, November, um, where I got the I got the email and it was like six o'clock and they're at six thirty and I was like, I'm sitting on my couch doing nothing. Let me just I'll just like log on and see. Yeah. And I logged on to like a Brady Bunch screen of people who were complete strangers in that moment, but who deeply knew my story. Mm-hmm. And deeply understood my experience. And I felt like I've known these people my entire life. Meanwhile, I've been virtually Zooming with them for like a year. And it was just so warm and wonderful to just be in this like space together. And then because of of the Heron Project, I learned that they hosted a marathon fundraising team for the Boston Marathon. And I never really wanted to run a marathon, but I thought, let me just like throw my name into this application and see what happens. 
And by sheer chance, they had had a full team and somebody got injured and they had one bib left to give. And interestingly, when I'd seen that psychic medium and Ryan had come through, he said he really wants things like named after him or like done in his, like, he's very selfish that way. He's like very self-involved, like name a school after me or like write a book dedicated to name a child after me. Totally. And so I thought like, here's this opportunity to do just that. So I spent January through April fundraising and being able to tell this story and bring awareness to the Heron Project and to really in unique situations that I wouldn't have normally brought them up. Like I had my, I had a dentist appointment. My dentist was like, oh, what's new? What have you been up to? I was like, oh, I'm training for the Boston Marathon. And he was like, wow, did you qualify? And I was like, absolutely not. I'm fundraising. He was like, oh, cool. Who for? And I told him, and there's always, I don't know if you experienced this as well. There's always that moment that you're going to inform someone like really bad news. You know what their face is going to look like. And you kind of wonder if you shouldn't just to spare them. But I've learned through this process that like, it's okay if that's their response. I can still communicate my story and my experience. And maybe they know somebody going through something similar. Maybe they themselves are going through something similar and they have a moment to feel connected or that they're learning something that they can take somewhere else. And so I've resisted the urge to not ruin somebody's day Mm -hmm. a lot of times because you never know what it might bring after that. They definitely do have a connection to it. Like, that's the thing that that I have taken away from this is that everyone I tell, they're like, oh, yes, my blah, blah, blah. Ha- I mean, it, it is so unbelievably pervasive, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It, and when we were actually pitching last day out, we kept getting the feedback. It's so niche. I'm like, excuse me, ma'am. No, it is not. No one's talking about it because it sucks. But it's not niche. Everyone knows someone. Yep. Yep. And because everyone does know someone or perhaps has lost someone, talking about it helps. It's something we can do to help ourselves move through it, which, let's be honest, is such a process in and of itself. It was not a a box I could check and have it be shelved, then it would go away. And that has been the most transformative, um, like illuminating experience. Like last two years of my life, really like digging in and spending time and doing different things um, has been the greatest gift that I could give myself. And I think I know would make Ryan so proud Instead of just sitting with it or putting it away, finding ways to honor it. Because in that conversation, I have to talk about him and I have to introduce new people to him. And it's such a gift. And it's hard to do sometimes. Like, it's obviously highly emotional, but it has been the single most transformative thing that's happened to me of this entire experience in terms of, and I didn't really look at it stuff until I, again, I read this prompt from you of who I was before and who I am now and how that completely changed me as a human. Oh my God. That is so, (laughs) I'm like still processing this. It's still very sad. It still sucks. But if there's ways to find some joy and light in the suck. Yeah. 
I'll do that all day. I actually wanted to ask you about that because the happy sad, the happy sad is a place where I just live now. Uh, and I remember I, I wrote this at the very end of the book, but I, there was a moment where I was looking through the rearview mirror at my daughter, who is now calling me, demanding that I bring her her Valentine's that she forgot. Um, but like you were my sunshine came on and I like it is the saddest song that's ever existed, first of all. And then I'm looking at her and she's like clapping and just like feeling it and her body and like just like it was beautiful. I was like, I love this creature. This is the most beautiful sight. And I'm absolutely com- consumed with sorrow at the same time that I will never be able to share this with him and he will never be able to experience this himself. And th- those moments are so intense. And I'm wondering if you have had any happy, sad moments like that. Yeah, I, I mean, most most recently, most specifically, the biggest thing was definitely the marathon. Mm. And this, I worded it somehow in the social media post, because obviously it's very important to champion your your successes on social media. Why would you run a marathon if you couldn't, right. if you can't share it exactly. on social media? What's exactly, the point? exactly. <laughs> but I just, I think I said something effective, like, my greatest, it's unfathomable how my greatest achievement is tied to like the greatest loss, but what a beautiful place for the two of those things to live in my experience. And like, even in like the running of the 26 brutal miles to Boston, I just kept thinking how proud you would be. Um, and like, he would think it was so cool that let alone that I ran that, but that I raised money and that, of course, it was for him. Like, he, he would love that, especially. <laughs> but it's just, like, those moments of knowing that he would be proud um, in the happy sad. Yeah. And um, it's it's it sucks to know that I won't have those in real time, but I know that, like, any other thing I do moving forward, will ha- he'll be a part of it. And he'll he'll know in some way that it's happening and he'll be proud of me. But yeah, the happy sad's a real a real thing. Man. Mm. I I love how my happy sad is that I listened to a song on toddler radio and yours says I ran 26 miles. It's fine. It's it's not a contest. <laughs> but I will say that you've really shown me up today. Okay? <laughs> the happy sad is real. And it's something we're going to talk about a lot on this show. Because life is never just one thing. Take the marathon. Was Kate over the moon proud of running 26 miles in one day? Yes. Did she also lose three toenails that day? Also, yes. So if you thought this story ends with Kate going on to become a lifelong marathon runner, think again. I believe the phrase she used was one and done. Still... She did it. She woke up one day and ran a whole ass marathon, which is something old Kate never did. I'm sitting here right now saying words into a microphone, also something I never did before losing my person. So here we are doing cool things we never did in the shadow of profound loss. And I have to think that somewhere up there, Ryan 
and Harris are looking down on us, feeling pretty darn proud. And just in case you need to hear how awesome it sounded when Kate crossed the finish line, here you go. Cheeky glasses! Cheeky cream! Cheeky! Have I got some good news for you. There's even more Last Day with Apple Premium. Subscribers get exclusive access to content like Kate's tips and advice for anyone thinking of joining a grief group. Sign up now on Apple Podcasts. Also, this is the first episode of the new season. If you want to know what else we have in store, I have more good news. We've got a little sneak peek that we dropped into the feed today. So go ahead and check that out. Last Day is a production of Lemonada Media. The show is produced by Keegan Zema, Aria Bracci, and Tiffany Bowie. Our engineer is Brian Castillo. Music is by Hannes Brown. Steve Nelson is our vice president of weekly content and production. And Jackie Danziger is our vice president of narrative content and production. Executive producers are Jessica Cordova-Kramer and me, Stephanie Whittles-Wax. If you like what you heard today, we have three other seasons that you can check out. Have a story you'd like to share? Head to bit.ly slash lastdaystories or click the link in the show notes to fill out our confidential Google form. Follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen ad-free on Amazon Music with your Prime membership. You can find us online at Lemonada Media and you can find me at Whittle Stephanie. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week. Hi, it's Kimmy again. I hope you loved meeting Stephanie and Kate and our newly minted fan of Last Day. To check out more episodes of Last Day, search for the show wherever you get your podcasts or find their link in our show notes below. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.